Gardaí have arrested 13 people in connection. It's September 2023. But there was something different about today. A protest takes place outside the Dáil. There's a makeshift gallows with photographs of politicians taped to it, as well as an effigy with a noose around its neck. Keep sharing this, folks. The people who were involved with these groups have been attacking me personally. Politicians had to be escorted out of Leinster House by Gardaí. And there was no coherent message from them. How's the Irish, not the world? The atmosphere echoed protests that had happened over the last this year. Fingla says no. How's the Irish first? Some outside migrant accommodation centres. In May, tents of migrants in a camp in Dublin were set on fire following a protest. Some protesters shouted at the asylum seekers, telling them they were not welcome. And in July, anti-LGBTQ protesters forced the closure of libraries in Cork. Staff there had to lock themselves into their offices and Gardaí were called. Some are fearful local concerns are being hijacked by far-right elements and the Taoiseach has appealed. I'm Fergal Gallagher. I'm a freelance journalist, but for most of the last decade, I worked in the US. Fergal Gallagher works to uncover fake images like As a producer for ABC News. Turns out this was a video from a few years ago showing a young girl after her brother had been arrested. Build that wall. Covering the rise of Trumpism. Build that wall. And how online misinformation helped far-right ideologies become a part of US politics. This election was a fraud. The US was not alone. There were similar shifts across Europe. Donald Trump was a great friend of Hungary. Great challenge is defending national identity and the very existence. Far-right political parties in Ireland have remained largely on the fringes. But when I came back from the US in 2021, I was surprised to see a new type of hostility at protests. And I was struck by how much it echoed what I had seen in America. How you heard about... I want to explore how and why and we got here. Did you know other people who are coming oh, yeah, down here? Or I follow the National Party. Yeah, I follow them. Has there been a growth in what is called the far right? And how significant is it? And what is at the heart of what is driving it? There tends to be a little bit of an idea that Ireland is immune to this stuff. This is Aoife Gallagher, who researches extremism. We've always been susceptible to it. We're not any different than anyone else across the world. Many at the protests are exercised by immigration, but others by COVID vaccines, trans rights, climate change, as well as conspiracy theories, such as the idea of a sinister cabal that is controlling the world. It's not fair to call everyone at these protests far right. Stop labelling people as racist just because they're concerned. Like people are getting off planes and they're, they're coming homeless immediately. Look, I'm no genius or anything, but that just doesn't make sense to me. But certainly present in these groups is a far-right element where Aoife says an extreme form of nationalism is central. A lot of far-right ideology is rooted in what we would call ethno-nationalism, which is essentially an exclusionary version of nationalism that is rooted in racism and xenophobia. We are not going to become a minority in our own country. The vast majority of people that are involved in the far-right in Ireland would essentially hold the idea that you cannot call yourself Irish unless you are ethnically Irish. And within our country, we come first. This is an online broadcast of the National Party, one of three small ultra-nationalist right-wing parties registered in Ireland today. None have any elected representatives, but their presence is often seen at anti-immigrant rallies and they were also at the angry protest outside the Dáil in September. 
they believe nationality is ethnic. That is, that it is based on genetic blood inheritance, shared history, culture, tradition. Anyone who doesn't fit that strict definition is not allowed to call themselves Irish and, according to them, is destroying the country and our culture. That idea of our country and our culture being changed happened before. Back in the 1930s with renegade Garda Commissioner Owen O'Duffy. He adopts the blue shirt as a uniform, adopts the right arm Roman salute. That Roman salute we now know as the Nazi salute. Historian Brian Hanley says the blue shirts weren't a fringe group at the time. A wide variety of people in Ireland would have thought that Jews are an alien influence, are not really Irish. You have one Jewish TD for Fianna Fáil, Robert Briscoe, whose name rings out again and again, where Fine Gael councillors or TDs talk about Briscoe the Jew. Because the country was already extremely conservative, there was no call for a far-right movement. That is, until the 80s and 90s, when, Brian Hanley says, the Catholic Church's power began to wane partly as a result of major culture wars. It's about issues like divorce, abortion, contraception. From that, you've got these people who are moving further to the right in reaction to that. So in the early 90s, you've got an organisation like Youth Defence, for example, who are very influenced by American anti-abortion movements. And that's really the roots of some of the right-wing political movements we see now. I guess I could be called far right. I don't know whether it's far right or far left. This is Jean. She's one of those dissatisfied with the recent changes that Brian talked about. I'm Catholic. I'm married now 27 years. Well, I'm a 56-year-old housewife, mother of three children, grandmother of three grandchildren. Jean supports the protests happening now. I believe my values will keep my children safe. And when the systems outside are not following your values, your morals, it's very scary. In the early 1900s, you know, the core family unit has shown success rate. It's only in the last 30 years that society has changed. And I don't think it's for the good and the proofs are in the pudding. I want my children growing up in a society of my values as a Catholic. Aoife Gallagher, the researcher for the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, says the conservative Catholicism that Jean identifies with is one key element you find with the far right in Ireland. And the other is the influence of the international far right. And people only really got access to the international far right with the arrival of the internet. Far right movements all over the world share tactics and strategies across borders. But tactics and strategies aren't the only thing they share. They also share extreme ideas. And scientist David Robert Grimes says the internet made this much easier. Back in the day, I might have gone out and told my friends in a pub and they would have explained to me why I was wrong or I would have got some social pushback going, absolutely not, you're wrong. And then I might have had to reconsider my stance. Now what we do online is no matter how extreme our position is, we can find a group of fellow travellers that will amplify that delusion. Anything that might contradict it, we can screen out. And it kind of created this competitive culture where you would try and get your thread with the most replies and you do this by being as awful <laughs> as you want, essentially. And it's kind of very attractive to have kind of shield of anonymity and just be able to be an asshole, if I can say that, online as much as you can. This culture first emerged around misogynistic, anti-women themes that then merged with more anti-immigrant and even fascist content. 
discourse has become incredibly polarised and increasingly polarised. And that's a problem. Because if you have no one shedding light on your, your ideas or, or challenging them, you're going to go further and further into that. When I started researching conspiracy theories years ago, people would say, wow, that's really interesting. It's such a niche area. You know, conspiracy theorists, they, they live in their mother's basement and they wear tinfoil hats. And I would say, no, they're your brothers, your sisters, your moms, your dads, your cousins. One of these ordinary polarised people that David talks about is Phil, who lives in Belfast. I'm a former conspiracy theorist. I probably got into conspiracy theories about 2008, 2009-ish. If you sort of cast your mind back, you were very much living in a post 9-11 world. You had like obviously the 9-11 terrorist attacks and the 7-7 bombings. We know that Saddam Hussein is determined to keep his weapons of mass destruction. As a result of that, you obviously had the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, which arguably they invaded those countries under perhaps dubious pretenses. Events in global politics at the time damaged Phil's trust in governments. You had things like the financial crash. Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. We, we, we were living in very uncertain times. These uncertain times globally matched uncertainties in his personal life. Phil was in his early 20s. At the time, I sort of felt that a lot of my peers were doing a lot of amazing things. Like I, I would always go on social media and you would see people going to universities and traveling around the world. And I always just sort of felt left behind because I was always just stuck in my hometown. Like I wasn't really doing much. I wasn't in a relationship. I was sort of barely making any money either, to be honest. Even within Northern Ireland, for example, you're either a unionist or Protestant or you're either a Catholic nationalist. And I always felt like I didn't really fit into that dichotomy. I was always like very secular and I sort of felt that I was almost politically homeless. So it basically fueled, I guess, my journey into conspiracy theories. And around about that time, there were two main YouTube documentaries that came out. They're kind of considered the very first conspiracy blockbusters. Structure is collapsing. This was the result of something that was planned. The conspiracies that Phil got into suggested that the world order was being controlled by a small but powerful and sinister group. It's not accidental that the first tower just happened to collapse. This idea that the elites have orchestrated 9-11. He says 9-11 is a hoax. Several of these 19 men are still alive. Giving them a reason to invade Iraq and Afghanistan and a reason to also put in these very draconian measures where you had the surveillance states happening. All this new information suddenly helped Phil make sense of the world. The only thing I can really compare it to is almost like a religious epiphany because all of a sudden you, the, the penny drops and you, you see the world in a different light for the first time and you, do, you, you just sort of accept it almost as a matter of faith. It is just like you've taken the red pill. Red pilling, it comes from the film The Matrix. You take the red pill and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And the red pill signifies an awakening that someone has to a different kind of version of reality. All I'm offering is the truth. I think I was watching the documentary for about the seventh time and I let out this little chuckle. I remember having this sense of intellectual arrogance because I would go out into town and everyone was just talking about really superficial things. I almost became sort of a hermit in a way. You know, whenever I finished work, you would just sit and watch documentary after documentary. I just felt that I had this esoteric knowledge that no one else knew about. And, and whenever you tried to bring it up in conversation, everyone was very snappy and dismissive. And so I, I just felt that they're brainwashed, essentially. 
The thing about conspiracy theories is they make you feel that you are part of a clique that has this insider underdog knowledge. And that can be very alluring to a lot of people, particularly if they feel powerless. I was a young married mother. I trusted a system. I felt that we could get on in life and we would be able to afford to meet all of our needs. But for Jean and her family, that didn't happen. They suffered during the financial crash. And she says mortgage holders like her continue to suffer. The mortgage holders who bought their houses in 2002 have been on a tight budget. If the government is robbing you blind in your business and in your taxes, you have your own reasons not to trust the system. Then you will probably become alert and say, well, hang on a minute. I've seen you posting about immigration. It's a big problem now. And this is one of the areas where the whole population is waking up to that is something seriously going wrong. What seems to be happening now is it's an influx of migrants coming into Ireland. Anti-immigrant ideas have a long history. Scientists, David Robert Grimes. You can go back to ancient societies and find the out-group hatred. It points at a group of people that are visibly different or maybe have a different language, different culture, and it makes them a unified other. It suddenly becomes those people, they're responsible for you not being happy. Around 2015, Mark Malone of the Hope and Courage Collective started monitoring the emergence of anti-immigrant groups in Ireland. A group called Anti-Islam Ireland set up on Facebook. There's, there's two choices for Islam. There's get out, there's stay and adapt. It was quite a small group, but because it was so openly Islamophobic, this was something that was relatively new and um, that many of us hadn't seen before, looking at how they were using social media right, itself. Yeah. And the third option is yeah. that the public will turn against you. And then that moving into the real world, so seeing kind of incidences at mosques in Kilkenny, for example. You came here and you didn't, you didn't have any appointment, no problem. I opened the place and I invited you. I wanted to engage you. you I, did, I don't you know who you are. You didn't want to say anything, you no. didn't answer any questions. No, no, no. You no. wanted to. Listen, we're from a group yeah. called Anti Islam Island. So why are you, why are you anti Islam? Because, because everything you want to against human rights, what? child marriages, everything. Mark says that events like this in Kilkenny suggest that only a small minority are interested in sowing division within the community. But in 2016, this small minority got a boost from abroad with the election of a new president in the US. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. Donald Trump legitimised the language of the far right and by 2019 in Ireland, local events provided opportunities for this far right to act. What far-right movements are very good at doing is tapping into very real concerns that people have and using these to draw people in. Those concerns were often around direct provision centres for asylum seekers. Frustration among local communities at the fact that services weren't being put in to accommodate this rising population. Researcher into extremism, Aoife Gallagher. And what we saw then were far-right agitators infiltrating local Facebook groups and essentially kind of peppering these groups with different kind of content that would talk about, you know, the perils of multiculturalism or conspiracy theories about multiculturalism. They were also going into these towns, speaking to locals on the ground, getting them to organise these protest movements. The blaze broke out in the Shannon Key West Hotel in Ruski before 8 o'clock last Hotels in Ruski, County Roscommon and in Moville in Donegal were burned in arson attacks after they had been earmarked for direct provision centres. People in this part of the world are very welcoming and I don't think this is in anyone's interest to see a, a fire like this in this area. That was 2019. Nobody knew it, but the pandemic was just around the corner. At this stage, 
Jean still valued traditional news outlets. I watched RTE prior to March 2020. I listened to all the radio stations, News Talk, Joe Duffy and RTE. I, I listened to all them Sky News. I loved the news. We'd have it on here in the morning time, like, you know what I mean? And um, You've changed since absolutely, COVID yeah, Absolutely, yeah. Fergal. Do you feel you were kind of duped by the media? I think things changed for the media in the last three years themselves. What changed for the media three years ago was a lack of certainty. If you remember in the early days of COVID, we didn't know how the disease spread or how to combat it, and there was no vaccine. People felt powerless. They felt frustrated. They felt scared. So a lot of the media coverage at the time was taken up with government and public health messaging. And it was very hard because the government weren't able to tell you exactly what's happened because they didn't know what was going to happen. Neve MacDonald also works at the Hope and Courage Collective, monitoring activities of the far right. And people were told to live online, everything was to do online, you're learning online, you were working online. And we can see the growth of the conspiracy theories. I remember it starting in my local WhatsApp group, you know, different conspiracies around COVID. The army are going to come out, they're going to lock us down, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. So the void was being filled. There was a massive political void. And also the left... Information void. Information void, yes. Absolutely. Jean opposed lockdowns, vaccines and masks. When they took the people's freedom away to travel, to go into bars and restaurants or to go anywhere, that was very, 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 very scary for me. Why? Why would they do that to us? Their fellow man, why would they do that? A 2022 Yale study involving more than 350,000 people showed that masks were effective in slowing the spread of COVID-19. I never wore a mask. The masks were about submission. They were about silencing. In the last three years, by the government showing their hand that they have the power, financially destroy us, um, socially destroy us, physically destroy us, change every aspect of how we lived. I think we're living in very dangerous times and, and that's scary. I am powerless. Jean lost faith in the media she used to watch and started getting more of her information from social media. If you look at Jean's social media feeds, she's posted about conspiracy theories like 9-11 and the moon landing being faked, climate change not being real and the existence of a new world order, as well as concerns about immigration and school sex education. I'm on Telegram and there's lots of doctors and scientists on there. Telegram is a Russian-owned social media platform Mark Malone of the Hope and Courage Collective was watching what was happening on Telegram. The fact that Telegram itself was a completely unregulated space meant that all the gloves were off. The content became more extreme. The nature of what the content was increasingly toxic. Homophobic, transphobic, white supremacist, anti-Semitic, ethno-nationalist, trad Catholic stuff. This sort of mishmash of hatred and justification of hatred. Like you rarely see anybody say... Ah, you shouldn't be posting that. How's it going, everybody? A big factor in the rise of alternative thinking is the emergence of Irish online influencers. Just walking up here towards Dot Aaron, letting these politicians know that we're not going to tolerate their nonsense anymore. They post about a wide variety of subjects. Immigration. Fake refugees and fake asylum seekers. Anti-feminism. Ireland is becoming a liberal basket case, let's call it the New World Order. A crisis in the world that will bring forth this global system. 
Many of these influencers have been removed from platforms like YouTube for violating their rules, but they move to other spaces on the internet with less restrictions. The platforms also allow them to make money by requesting donations from followers. Generally, the conspiratorial world is quite lucrative, to say the least, and there are many different ways for people to raise money. You can obviously sell products online. You can raise donations through loads of different platforms. You have like PayPal, Patreon, Subscribestar. There's loads of different platforms like that for raising money. The YouTube super chat element as well is a way to raise money. People will get money for speaking arrangements, selling books, doing podcasts and stuff as well and running ads through podcasts. Yeah, there's multiple ways of making money. Given that there's money to be made, do followers like Jean feel like they're being misled? I've never felt I've been misled by the social media. I have to be honest with you there. Like, you know, when you've got a platform on the TV that's only saying one narrative, the government's narrative, social media was denounced as, oh, you know, it's all only conspiracy theory as being a place only where far right people go, you know, and they're ignorant and they're uneducated and they're unqualified. Uh, my name is Abdul. Originally, I'm from Afghanistan. I came to Ireland almost uh, more than a year. Abdul was the type of person that Jean and others were talking about on social media. He's a 35-year-old man who'd been living his life in Kabul with his wife and three sons. He had been working for the Afghan government. But in August 2021, the Americans pulled out and the Taliban quickly took over. The Taliban move into Kabul, Western countries are moving. There is panic and fear everywhere. Suddenly everything ended overnight during half a day. <laughs> the reality was so harsh, the reality was really difficult. And uh, don't make me emotional, otherwise you'll... <laughs> like suddenly, uh, your whole life your whole career, your whole achievement of 20 years, your education, your name, your goodwill and your social capital, your friends, your networks, everything ends overnight. Abdul has been living in a direct provision center for a year. When I came here, I didn't know a single person. It's like a newborn baby coming to a new world, trying to find his own way and connect with people. And of course, the protests against people like Abdul weren't just confined to online. They were on the streets too. And Aoife Gallagher said by 2022, those protests had changed. We're seeing things that we've never seen before in an Irish context happening here now. But we don't want these men here. We need to go home. Yeah. Well, we've had enough of it, you know what I mean? And we really don't. The mainstreaming of language that would have been associated with fringe movements, you're now hearing being shouted in the streets by kind of regular people. The first impression that I had from the protests was a disappointment. A lot of my friends were in East One, giving each other hope. Things will be okay. It was really like heartbreaking thing. I was curious about the protests, so I went along to see them for myself. I went to East Wall, where people were on the street objecting to the arrival of asylum seekers who'd been placed in a disused office building. A lot of people didn't want to speak to me. Okay, okay, yeah, whatever. This man looks sideways as other people at the protest signal for him not to speak to us. Oh, he needs to relax. He's pointing at me now. Stop, man. If you want to talk, talk. I want to talk. I don't care what he thinks. But then talk. Tell him how you feel about what's going on. This man is homeless. I come to East Wall to go into Aldi, to sit in the car park and beg. As a homeless person, 
he feels it directly affects him. Okay, so I think this situation is a disgrace and we already have a housing crisis and they haven't even sorted out the housing crisis and they're inviting all these people in. Why don't they not get the Irish homeless that are not on drugs and not drinking and put them together? I think it's not fair, to be honest with you. So they go in there, they have a good life. This man is standing outside the accommodation centre in East Wall. On the inside that night was a woman who we're calling Rose, who came to Ireland from Nigeria. We don't want to be there as well. There were men there initially and they were protesting. They don't want the men. So they brought us with the kids and the families and yeah, to replace the men. So. Yeah. And did you did you have any interaction with the protesters? It's, uh, at this point, they do it every Wednesday. We are used to it. I just walk past them. It's nothing. It's nothing to me. Like, I'm, I'm not even bothered. Okay. Sometimes I just wish I can tell them, can you come in and just spend one week here? Maybe you will actually see the see, see how we live, then you'll stop the protest. When you're inside, could you could you hear them protesting outside? Yes, we do. We see them, we hear them. Sometimes they bring in music and play music and we hear them, we see them. If they, they say they're worried about you being here, what, what would you say to them? Oh, just come and live here for one week. <laughs> then they, they will change your mind. Rose finds it difficult to be in the centre. Hundreds of people are there, all from different countries, with limited resources like showers and washing machines. You're cute to have your bath. You're cute to wash. I wake up 2 a.m. because that's the time I know when I get to the washing machine. This protester is suspicious of where people have come from and points to what he sees as religious and cultural differences. I'm not saying all Muslims are bad. I met some Muslim people that are very good people, but they're com- they come from a completely different culture. This otherness leads him to think that there could be bad people among them, and he repeats the language about the immigrants that is widely circulated by influencers online. And they're undocumented, unvetted. You don't know if they're murderers, you don't know if they're rapists, you don't know if they're paedophiles. You don't know. How you heard about these protests, or how you got word of it, or did you know other people who were coming oh, yeah, down here? Or how I follow you? the National Party. Yeah, I follow them, and I've seen the protests online. I heard about it on YouTube. And that's how I found out about it. Many protesters say there are no checks on immigrants. According to the Department of Justice, all applicants for international protection are photographed and fingerprinted, and results are checked against a European database. Afraid of what you see, what happens in other countries are all the refugees. There's rapists, there's paedophiles, there's, there's robbers, there's comes with all problems. We have these problems in our own community from our own people. You don't need to add to them by bringing in more and only in our areas. Do you think there'll be a higher percentage of criminals amongst these people? Do you know, I can't honestly say there is, but I just, I feel like there might be, I don't know, I just don't know, you know. Mark Malone of the Hope and Courage Collective was watching these protests unfold. The primary movers, shakers, organisers within the far right are almost exclusively men. When you look at the makeup of anti-maggot mobilisations, increasingly we're seeing mothers and grannies and buggies. So there's something there which is the triggering of fear around sexual violence, your kids being abducted, and we're seeing the use of made-up stories that also then trigger genuine fears and concerns. People are coming out in the streets on the basis of some things that aren't really grounded in reality. One striking example of how misinformation about migrants is spread happened in late January. A false rumour spread online that a woman had been raped by an immigrant in Finglas in Dublin. Online agitators called for locals to come out and demand answers from the Gardaí. A large group of mostly women went into Finglas Garda Station. 
Such was the reaction that the Gardaí felt the need to put out a statement saying that they were investigating an incident involving a white Irish male. One of the agitators who had called for violence against the Gardaí was arrested. A deliberate attempt by known foreign actors to whip up and mobilise fear, anger and violence. David Robert Grimes has ideas about why this is so effective. If you look at all conspiracy theories throughout history, no matter how complicated they seem, they're always a very simple good guys versus bad guys narrative. And when you believe in conspiracy theories, you're always the good guy. And whoever you identify as the bad guy, you can dehumanise, you can vilify. And we see that especially in nationalistic kind of conspiracy theories. Abdul says the fear also goes the other way. It's scary for people arriving here too. The moment you reach to a new country, everybody is scared. And at the end of the day, we are all human. I have traveled to a lot of countries. We are all the same. The only solution to fear is to face it. Let's have a coffee and let's discuss. And let's see, is that fear real or not? Diverse political opinions, right and left, are part of a healthy democracy. But Neve MacDonald of the Hope and Courage Collective thinks something different is going on here. I think some of the language that's been used. They're outside direct provision centres shouting out, out, out. There's a difference between a democratic right to protest and there's a big difference between intimidation and disruption and violence. As a democratic society, we have a right to protest and we should cherish that and we shouldn't let far-right activity used as weaponised to stop us being allowed to protest. I don't call what the hate and extremists do in protests. I call them disruptions, I call them intimidation and I call it violence. In January 2023, Aoife did some research analysing the language used in Irish social media groups. She saw a huge increase in language describing immigrants as a militaristic invading force. It's language I heard when I went to the protests. I won't let happen here what I'm seeing because it's men. And they're war-age fighting men. Hi, Archie. I'm just checking what you think about unvetted people, undocumented people arriving by the hundreds every day in areas where there are children and vulnerable people. He took an oath to defend this country, not allow it to be invaded. Use of words like invasion, plantation and replacement had increased significantly compared to the time of the 2019 direct provision protests. I'm very worried about my children. They can't go anywhere since the start of this plantation because that's what it is Now my personal opinion is that they want to get rid of the indigenous Irish people and they're going to breed us out People may not realise where it comes from but these tropes are essentially promoting the great replacement theory at the core of far right white supremacist beliefs that I heard when I was in America The theory goes that the white population is being replaced by non-white immigrants in a scheme by Jewish elites In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. It's something that Jean is very worried about. Uncontrolled migration is going to put our Christianity in jeopardy. And how how will it put your Christianity in jeopardy? Well, you see, it's back to God's guidelines. You know, when we had God to follow, like when I was growing up, I was 13 years of age, I was able to go into town to the apartment disco. I was very, very safe because all the other kids were raised the same way you were with strict morals and values and respect. It's very scary that they had the power to change the safety of our demographics, of my demographics. 
It's clear from speaking with Jean that fear and mistrust are at the heart of some of her beliefs. Fear of foreign cultures, fear for the safety of her family, mistrust of government and forces out of her control. Phil too had lost trust in the system, but developments in his own life started to change his way of thinking. It's difficult to pinpoint an exact moment where I stopped believing in conspiracies. The interesting catch-22 about conspiracies is because conspiracies actually got me really interested in researching and reading books on philosophy and politics. So that actually prompted me to go back to university. So I, I studied sociology and philosophy and anthropology and all. And I actually went in initially with the mindset that I'm going to do this as a way of augmenting my conspiracy beliefs. But then obviously the complete opposite happened because whenever you go into academia, you start to really sort of understand the superficial nature of conspiracy theories as a whole. Because things that I would have found convincing back in the day, they no longer sort of withstood scrutiny. David Robert Grimes has done a lot of work with people who believe in misinformation and conspiracy. I've been working for many years on countering this, that no one ever changes anyone else's mind. You simply give people the tools to do it themselves. No one's ever changed your mind. You've changed it yourself. We seem to have forgotten that with online discourse in particular. But all you can do is plant seeds. And for Phil, that seed came from a conversation he had. There was a girl in my class who was a young earth creationist. And one afternoon I was just sitting talking to her. And I asked, you know, how how can you just reject all this evidence? And she basically started saying that, you know, I think that it's an atheist conspiracy. Uh, you know, they're trying to suppress the truth about creationism. And we have all these experts, but they're, they're being suppressed by the, the mainstream media. And, you know, if evolution happened, why are there still apes, etc., etc.? And I started to notice that there were a lot of parallels between how she justified her belief and how I justified my belief. And one of the things I've come to understand over time is that actually conspiracy theorists just tend to have a very similar way that they argue their position. And so I guess my train of thought was, well, if I'm not accepting what she is saying, why am I accepting what I'm saying? Because I'm basically saying the same thing. There is some debate about how ideas based on disinformation should be dealt with by the media. Sometimes highlighting disinformation gives fuel to the fire and helps it spread. But for Phil, a defining moment in his emergence from his year as a conspiracy theorist came while watching a BBC documentary. It was about 9-11 and obviously the main theory about 9-11 is they were claiming that they had obviously rigged the buildings with explosives. But I always had this kind of thought in the back of my mind, you know, well, how could they rig all three buildings without anyone noticing? They had one of the experts who was basically questioning the official story. And so I kind of thought that he was going to give a very good answer to that question whenever he was prompted with it. He said, well, maybe they were rigged in the 80s whenever the building was built. And so in order for any of this to really make sense, you have to make some massive jumps in logic to the extent that the conspiracy theory is actually way more far-fetched than the official theory. The simpler outcome is probably more likely. Yeah. It's a, there's a term for it, Occam's razor. Whenever you're met with two competing theories, the theory that has the least amount of assumptions is usually the correct one. Phil is unusual in emerging from his conspiratorial thinking. Many people never do. When I'm dealing with people that are on the cusp of falling down a rabbit hole, I don't go and beat them over the head with a science book. That, that never works. What does work sometimes is asking, why do you think that? And when you deep dive into that question with people and let them speak, you'll often hear 
that the reason they got here is because they're uncertain, because they're afraid, because they don't know what to believe, because they read this scary story. Getting into university was a massive accomplishment for me, you know, but at the time I felt such a, an element of pride that a lot of these conspiracy beliefs that I guess had filled a void and given me a purpose, I felt that I didn't actually really need them anymore. And that, that could have been something that played a role in me being less persuaded or less interested in them, essentially. As we live more of our lives online in the era of misinformation and artificial intelligence, trust is harder than ever to maintain. We will see a more polarised society. We will see a lot of division and we will see a lot of unfair villainization and dehumanization of other people. So the only long-term solution for that is to teach people to identify when they're being exploited by this disinformation. Neve MacDonald believes that these groups can appear larger than they are and that mainstream parties could get shifted to the right in trying to appease them, especially if there are far-right candidates in upcoming local elections. We can see they're gearing up for that, you know. I don't know if they'll get elected. We would be wanting to support political parties not to take the bait. That's what this is. They're jumping up and down going, come on, over here, over here, over here. And they seem so big because of the easy messaging on social media and they can appear huge. This is about democracy. And this is about reducing who can participate in our democracy. That's what they want. They just want a national national state. That's effectively it. They don't want travelling community, LGBT community. They don't want women or, or women politicians. So to me, this is a fight for our democracy. You know? Aoife Gallagher says that despite the small numbers, people's lives are still being affected. We've seen this kind of vigilante-style mob violence occurring where migrants are just being kind of randomly attacked and rumours kind of circulating online are resulting in, in violence and things like that. So I think that as much as they might be small, we need to also realise that they are a danger. The, the protests also had the effect of spurring communities into action to support refugees. refugees are welcome here. After the East Wall protests started, other locals came out to express their point of view. There were loads of us in the community that feel solidarity for people who are being protested against. They've come from very difficult circumstances. I feel really ashamed to see them. I live in that community. I feel shocked and surprised to see that there are lots of local people who are standing outside in very aggressive, unpleasant manners. Now, I do believe that a lot of it has been stirred up, and I find that really, really upsetting. Those protesting will not represent my view. A year after those initial protests in Dublin 3, we caught up with Abdul at a family fun event organised to bring the community together in the area. I have been connected uh, with a lot of great people, welcoming communities. Today, you know, we are in this park, joining a lot of different and diversified groups from different walks of life. When you go to a new country, you go with hope that, OK, I left everything, I left my really great life. Sometimes we don't need food, we don't need shelter or anything, we just need kind words. This is Ugandan music at a gathering to celebrate multiculturalism. I'm going to bring you to Uganda. Are you ready? Right near the spot where I recorded protesters earlier this year. Pack your bags, let's go! Oh, I 